I, I, I had all of these woe is me type of feelings. And it took me a long time to be able to say, I made that choice to get on that table. And that's really a hard place to go, to say, I'm responsible. Nobody could have made me do what I did. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and welcome to my 30th episode, Heather's Abortion Recovery God's Story, a story of healing and restoration from abortion, living free, living renewed, and living restored. My name is Michelle Saunders Gutch storytelling host and founder of Altered Stories Ministry, a faith-based nonprofit located in Overland Park, Kansas, that helps Christian women share their God stories so women around the world can hear them. Thanks for listening to today's show. Before I get the show started, I wanted to thank If Not For Grace Ministries for sponsoring this episode. If Not For Grace Ministries is located in Lee Summit, Missouri, this powerful and redemptive ministry's mission is to provide opportunities for restoration to the abortion wounded. I'm incredibly honored to have the opportunity to help them share their message of hope through their spokesperson and today's special guest, Heather Wilde. Also, before Heather and I start our conversation, I'd like to share that last month I had the highest number of downloads since the show launched. Thank you for your great support of the show. All of you VIPs out there, please know that I'm continuing to pray for each of you and your families as we all adjust to the changes in our lives due to the coronavirus outbreak, I continue to encourage all of you to keep your eyes on Jesus in this storm by praying, staying in God's word, and fellowshipping with each other virtually. That's what we're doing today, Heather and I. Although this is audio, we can see each other as we record. There are so many great ways to do that, so many opportunities. So do take advantage of the virtual communications and outreaches that you all have. Also, there are many, many uplifting and faith-building podcasts that will feed your soul and lift your spirits as you are at home. And if you're one that's blessed to have extra time on your hands, do check out some of these awesome Christian women podcasts, Unresolved Life, Letters from Home, Road Home to You, Raising Kids on Your Knees, and By His Grace podcasts. I also wanted to share that I will be launching a mini episode podcast of Hope through the Christian Podcasters Association on Good Friday. This will be a short podcast that will feature myself and my awesome board member, Sandy Williams and Brenda Curls. We will be sharing messages of hope that we have in Jesus Christ 
that will be inspiring and encouraging. I will also be sharing other kingdom impacting podcasts for you to listen to. So enough of all that. Let's get moving forward and get started. I can't wait for you to meet Heather. Good afternoon, Heather. How are you? I am doing well. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing okay in the midst of this storm. It's been great getting to know you. I know we wanted to meet in person. Thank you, too. Yeah, it's been wonderful getting to know you and having some conversations as we go through and, you know, discuss, you know, some of the logistics and what we're doing here today as we're going through and sharing your amazing God story. So my question for you is, can you go ahead and share a little bit about who you are with the listeners and also your role at INFJ, which is If Not For Grace? Sure. So um, I am the participant care coordinator at If Not For Grace. And so what that entails is when a post-abortive man or woman reach out to us, I walk with them through um, meeting at the very beginning, telling them a little bit more about If Not For Grace, telling them my story, and then having me t- having them tell me theirs. A lot of the time, this is the first time that they've told their story. And so that meeting is really, really difficult. It takes women three to five times of hearing about If Not For Grace and what we do before they will listen to that nudging that God is doing in their hearts to reach out to us. So it's really a blessing to listen to these women tell me their stories. We all have the same story, even though they're all different. We all have the same pain, the same shame, the same grief, the same guilt. And to know that there are other women out there and other men out there who are going through the same thing, it makes it, makes it like a family, for, if not for grace. We call it a sisterhood. So that's what I do with If Not For Grace. I meet with the the ladies and I walk with them through meeting with me, putting them into a group. And then I walk with them through that group, just encouraging them. And one of the ladies called me her back pocket cheerleader, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) That's quite an honor, really. I mean, that's so needed through the process. I was a stay-at-home mom for years. And we homeschooled our son for seven. He's graduated. Um, he is nine, He's going to be 19 tomorrow. And then we have a daughter who is uh, 23. She'll be 24 in June. She lives in Denver. Um, and I am a, a dog and cat mom. I've got a dog and three <laughs> cats that keep us very entertained. <laughs> and they bark, right? Ha ha. Yes. Yes. All of them bark, even the cats. <laughs> And our dog is really old, so you may actually hear him snore. He's laying beside me, and he's a noisy (laughs) sleeper. (laughs) Yeah, as they get older, they snore. Yes, (laughs) very much so. Yes. So how are you you and your family dealing with this whole coronavirus? Do you mind sharing a little bit of that before we get into the conversation about your journey? Sure. So my husband works from home a lot. And so this isn't a big change for him. 
So he's in the office working. And then um, our son works for a call center. And so he was able to work from home. So our bandwidth is really short in the house. <laughs> Between all of us working online, it's um, challenging to say the least. <laughs> yeah, my husband's working from home too. We're, we're trying to maneuver through a one office. So he's been gracious. He kind of came in and took over mine. And, you know, we're, we're definitely going to plan for potentially two offices in the future, figuring out how we can do that. So we've done a lesson learned in terms of how we manage through both of us working out of our home at this time. So I'm sure that three, for sure. Yes. Well, and, and the, the animals are very, oh, sorry. I was just going to say the animals are very happy to have us home. They, I've just been so cuddly and snuggly and it's like, mom, dad, you're home. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen some of the cute um, posts out there on Facebook? You, I mean, our poor little schnauzer, she is, don't walk me one more time. <laughs> yes, we so, have a little shit zoo. So he oh. is totally the same way. He's saying, like, I'm, I'm too old to walk. Just let me lay around. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I just think it's great to get the audience, you know, just kind of seeing and understanding from your perspective where things are right now as we go into our conversation. So I wanted to thank you, Heather for seriously trusting me to share your personal God story and for being willing to, to share it. I know you share in front of conferences, you share in the room, you've probably shared in your church and other places, but this is the first time that you, you know, you've gone on a podcast. So, you know, it's a little different and going out there to listeners all over the world, you know, it's, it's definitely different. But God still gets the glory. It still is a story. And it's personal. So I want to put you complete at ease as we go through the conversation. And I wanted to also ask you why you think it's so important for women to share their stories. You know, you talked about that early on in terms of the women that share, and it takes them a while. But why do you think it's critical for women to share their God stories of healing and redemption or just share stories? I think it's important because until we get to a point where we're ready to share, we're living a lie. And we're so afraid that somebody is going to find out and it's going to ruin everything. And that's certainly where Satan wants us to be. He wants us to be afraid. He wants us to live in that shame because if we live in that shame, then we can't fully go out and do what God wants us to do. We cannot be true women of God while we're still hiding. Absolutely. I love that. And I know it took me a while to have the courage to go public and sharing my story. and. I'll tell you what, I walked around so inward and always felt fearful, you know, that someone was going to find out or somehow this was, I mean, it, it's, it's a hard journey to walk. So there's such freedom in it, I believe. And that's why I believe altered stories and, and 
having women share is so important for their freedom to release them to be all that God's purposed them to be. So as we've talked, we're going to move into the next question, which is a big loaded question. So Heather, can you share where your God story began? My God story started before I was ever born. He had that plan worked out for me. And I can see all of the different roads that I took. And he would just guide me back onto the road that he wanted me. No matter what bad way I took, I could, he could just, he, before I even knew him, and I didn't come to know him until I was 17. So I was not raised in a Christian home by any means. I was actually raised by my grandparents. They adopted me. Their daughter was my biological mom. And she and my biological father were her high school sweethearts. And they got married right after they graduated. He was, he enlisted into the army and they moved to Kansas and lived for a little while. They got pregnant with me and then he got stationed in Germany and she wasn't able to go. And so neither one of them handled that separation very well. And so it ended up in a divorce. And I was a very, very sick child. Um, I was in and out of the hospital, doctor's offices. And somebody coughed within a 10-mile radius, I was sick. And so my biological mother was very inwardly focused at the time and had already moved on with her life and couldn't raise me. My biological father was in Germany in the army by himself with no family, so he couldn't raise me. And so my maternal grandparents took me in. They legally adopted me, and that's who I called mom and dad for years. I didn't even know that I was adopted until I was 13. So their son and daughter and my biological mother, well, I was growing up. I was told they were my brothers and sisters. So my biological mother, I was raised thinking she was my sister. It's kind of like a soap opera. And I have to draw out a family tree when I explain it. Um, But because my mother, my grandmother, she felt like she had to raise me. And because of that, she was very angry. She had raised her children. And so she didn't really want to be tied down with a sick child, but my dad wanted to keep me in in the family and raise me. And so uh, my dad and I had a really, really close relationship. Um, I was like his little buddy. Everything that he did, I was right there. I was helping. Um, I'm great at, at taking a garbage disposal apart and putting it back together. And I I can do all of those fun things or not so fun things, um, depending on how you want to look at it, because my dad taught me. But my mom was very, very angry. And it came out in my my raising. And she would call me terrible names. Um, And she was a very bitter woman anyway. So it was a really, really difficult childhood. You know, I I didn't feel loved. And I think that was where things started. She would say horrible things to me. Um, I would get backhanded. And as I grew older, my father and they had my, my mom and dad had a terrible marriage to begin with because they 
they lived in the same house, but they were not friends. They were not lovers. They were not um, a couple. And so I didn't have any sort of Christian influence as to what a good relationship looked like. They would get mad at each other and not talk for months. And it was so miserable. Um, And so going into high school, I'd never had boyfriends. I, I didn't date. I was very gangly. I had strange hair and it was just not a good situation to go into with glasses. And so I, I get dated just a couple of guys before I, I dated the one that I thought was the one I was a junior in high school. He was a senior and he went to a different school and he did not come from a Christian family either. And so our upbringings were a lot alike and very much very liberal minded. God was never talked about in our house unless my mom was using four letter words to go with his name. When my friends would go to church camp or whatever, I never went. My mom would not let me go. She actually would forbid me to go. And so just seeing all of these ways that my life would go down this path and it would get turned off onto like a a left or right, but God would do something to bring me back in line. You know, I dated this guy when I was 16. Thought he was the one. We talked early on about marriage. I was a junior in high school. And um, it wasn't long into our relationship that we started having sex. And it wasn't long after that that I got pregnant. Because I just, I didn't have anybody to talk to. My, My mom and dad were just don't have sex. And that was the end of it. They had friends whose daughter had gotten pregnant in high school, and they just thought that was the most embarrassing thing to ever happen. And I told, I was told that if I got pregnant, then they would kick me out. There would, there would be nothing. It would just be, that would be it. And so I, I got pregnant and I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who to talk to. And at that point, what, 28 years ago, we didn't have places for uh, pregnancy resource centers. All we had was Planned Parenthood. And having grown up in that liberal lifestyle and not knowing God and not knowing that He made me and knew me before He did that, I bought into the whole, it's just a clump of cells. It's not a big deal. Um, it'll make your life better. You won't have to change your plans. And and I bought into that. And it was just assumed that we would have an abortion. We never talked about raising the child, even though we had talked about marriage. It was It was not an option. And I think that that is really what surprises me with the pro-choice movement is that when you're in that situation and you feel like, cornered animal and you don't think there's any other way out you don't really have a choice and that's the way i felt was i didn't i don't have a choice i've just got to do what i've got to do and so we scheduled the abortion and we went in it was totally illegal i used a fake name i used a fake social security number his mom signed the paperwork for me they didn't check they didn't ask And I just remember being in that room with all of these young girls and their parents and just that 
that look of nobody looked at each other. Everybody looked down. Everybody was, there was not a smile in that room. And just the, the weight of it. I mean, you could hardly breathe. It was just so suffocating. And they did the ultrasound, which they didn't show me. I didn't even know back then that I was supposed to look. I mean, I was 16 years old playing an adult game and I lost. (laughs) They took both of us back and they did the counseling, which was just how they would do the abortion. It wasn't, you have a choice. You can do adoption. You can raise your child. We can give you resources. There wasn't any of that. It was, this is how the procedure will go. And I remember his mom was very afraid that I would back out. And so she paid extra to make sure that I was put under anesthesia. We went back into the room, myself and the nurse, and I changed my clothes, put on the gown, and then a nurse came in to do the IV. And I just freaked and I started crying and, and I was hyperventilating and I was panicking. And she looked at me and she said, if you don't go through this now, you're going to have to go through all of this again when you come back and you will come back. And I just thought, she's right. And I don't want to go through all this again. And so we, she did the IV and she led me out to the table where I climbed up and the doctor came in and he didn't introduce himself. He didn't say hi, bye, anything. Um, Just put my feet in the stirrups and then they gave me the medicine that put me to sleep. And I don't remember anything of my actual abortion, which I think is such a blessing because I know how, how much I hurt with just what I did. But to be able to hear that and know in my mind that would replay any time, it's just a blessing. And I just thank God that through her anger of me getting pregnant and a possibility of not going through with it, that that was a blessing in my life that I, I don't remember it. What I do remember is afterwards, I woke up in the waiting room and I remember the first thing that I heard was crying. And I thought, why, why, what's going on? Then I got sick. I didn't realize I'd never been under anesthesia that I could remember. And so I had no idea how I would react to anesthesia. And I got violently sick. The nurse came over, gave me crackers and Sprite and told me that um, if I intended to leave this clinic, then I needed to settle down. Uh, There was no cheery demeanor. There was no niceness there. It was just, and I, I look back and I think what a miserable life to know that what you're doing is taking away lives rather than making it better. And I think to myself, I would be the same way. I would not be a happy, cheery person either. Um, So I just, the crying, I can hear the crying in my head of the girls that had just finished their abortions and just that emptiness. And I felt it immediately, just empty. And I didn't understand why. I mean, if this is such a normal procedure, if this is just a clump of cells, if this isn't a human life, then why do I feel the way I do? Why do I feel so guilty? And I didn't understand. 
So um, a little while later, I was released and my boyfriend and his mother picked me up. I found out that they left me there and went shopping, which just, it started the anger that I had because anything could have happened to me on that table and no one would have known. Um, And for a long time, I had that mentality of this was done to me. Um, I had no, I I was forced um, and they didn't care enough to stay. And I, I, I had all of these woe is me type of feelings. And it took me a long time to be able to say, I made that choice to get on that table. And that's really a hard place to go to say, I'm responsible. Nobody could have made me do what I did, but I did it. And so to be able to take responsibility of that was really hard, but I did many, many, many years later, but lived in so much sadness for all of those years. Did I answer your question? That's a, a lot of story there, Heather. And I guess I didn't answer your question because you asked me where my God story started. <laughs> well, you, you did start saying that it, you believed it was before you were born. You know what I mean? So you brought in that contextually. And I mean, now, of course, having talked through since the, 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 the actual discussion that we have is around abortion recovery and restoration, you know, now we can move. You, you've shared what led you to your decision, why you did. And now you've talked about what you endured it, as a result. So moving forward into your life, when was it that you started the healing from the decision that you made to have an abortion? I I became a Christian when I was 17. And so that was my senior year of high school. And I went on to marry that man. And I really shouldn't have. I, I had so much anger and I had so much guilt and I would try and talk to him and he didn't understand it to him. It wasn't a, a baby. And so I had all of these symptoms, you know, I I wanted to have a baby as soon as possible again. And that was at 16 anniversary syndrome where the date would come up and it was on St. Patrick's day, which for everybody, that's a great celebration day until this year. I had never celebrated St. Patrick's day because I always saw it as the loss of my child rather than the birth of him. And so finally this year, we actually did celebrate his birthday. But it wasn't until 23 years after my abortion that I went for help. And it wasn't on purpose. Um, We were attending a church and a lady had come from a pregnancy resource center. And she had shared with us about how they were looking for volunteers and they were doing the baby bottle drive for money. And I thought, you know, this is what I can do. I can, I can save babies all around the world and I can earn my way back into God's heart and he won't be angry with me anymore. Um, because part of my story is that 
before I had my daughter, I had a miscarriage. And then when I got pregnant with my daughter, I had a lot of problems. And then when I got pregnant with my son, we almost lost him several times. And I spent more time on bed rest than I did off. And when um, we were delivering our son, the doctor looked at me and said, you know, I'm going to be really honest with you. Your body does not handle um, pregnancy or having babies very well. And I'm going to recommend that you not ever have another child because if you do, it's either going to kill you, your baby, or both. And that was all it took for my husband. He was like, I'm not going to raise children by myself. And so we never had more children after that. And we found out later that uh, the abortion that I had had done serious damage to my uterus to the point where I had to have an early hysterectomy at 31. And so, yeah, and I wanted to have a big family. I grew up by myself and I wanted to have 12 children. And that was just not what was in the cards with God. And, And it took me a long time to rectify the difference between consequences and judgment. Because I felt like when I had that miscarriage, that was God doing like a, a tit for tat, a, a eye for an eye. And and when when I got pregnant with our son and I started having all these complications, I was like, God, I don't understand. Why are you still angry with other child that I wanted because I got rid of the child you gave me first and we should be even now. And I don't understand why you're, why are you doing this? And I think that came from not knowing who God was. And I didn't have a relationship with him. I didn't know who he truly was until I went through, if not for grace. So back to the the lady with the baby bottle, you know, she's taking people who want to become volunteers. And I thought, that's what I can do. That's how I can get God back in my good graces. You know, I can save babies all around the world and everything will be great. And so I reached out to them and told them that I was interested. And you know, I can remember it clearly. I'm standing in the middle of Michael's craft store and I'm talking with this lady and she wants to know why I want to volunteer. And I, I'm telling her about my abortion story, and I'm sobbing, and I'm crying, and snot is rolling down my face, and people are looking at me like I'm possessed. And she gave me the best advice that I'd had up until that time, and that was that I can't help anyone else until I get help myself. And now knowing what it would have been like to be in a pregnancy resource center and listening to these women and knowing where I'd been and not being able to be honest. And it would have just torn me up day after day after day. And she was so right. I couldn't help anyone until I got that help myself. So what she did was she said, anybody who's had an abortion and wants to volunteer with us, they need to go through, if not for Grace Ministries, their post-abortive ministry. And that's all they deal with. And that way you can get the closure that you need. And you'll be able to help women by being able to tell your story. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Um, I just thought, what if? I had all of these what ifs. What if I tell my story and people judge me? What if I I go into this and I fall into this deep depression and I don't get out? 
what happens when I have to tell my children that they have a brother in heaven, that they are not going to see this side. I, I had all of these what ifs. And I reached out to them and I, I talked to the lady there and told her my story. And she said, well, let's get you into a group. Let's get you into a class so that, that God can start this healing process in you. And I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Because the God that I have seen is very vengeful, and he's angry with me. I don't think he wants me healed. And that was so the lies of Satan in my ear. And he was just 24 hours a day. And finally, I got up the nerve. It's six months later. I reached out to her again and said, okay, I'm ready for a class. And that was, I can honestly say that that was the best decision I've ever made in my life aside from marrying my husband and my two kids, because it totally changed my life. Yes. I think that's so beautiful. That is so, so beautiful. And what a gracious God. He just, he'll work through people. He'll be patient. I mean, he's so personal. He knew that you were already dealing with all those things that you were dealing with as a result of judgment on yourself, right? And trying to make amends through different ways. And God wanted you to just make admission that your sin has been forgiven. It's been forgiven under his blood. When he went to the cross, he took on the weight of the world and the sins. And who are we? that we can't forgive ourselves when God has chosen to forgive us. And, you know, it's funny that you say that that aspect of forgiving ourselves, every woman that I meet with says the exact same thing. I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself for what I've done. And watching them go through that, that 11-week process through the group, and then doing our reconciliation weekend at the end. I This is a ministry where I see God completely change your life in 11 weeks. And it just blows my mind. Women come in and they've never told their secret before. And they're, they're crying all the way through it. And they are scared to death to go into the group class with the other women. And then 11 weeks later... They've, they've got joy. Their whole countenance has changed and they're happy and they're joyful and they're thankful and they've recognized their child and they love that child. It's beautiful. It keeps me coming back. <laughs> yes. And the recovery process, I mean, you've come through that. It's a hard process to step through, but look how God is turning it for good in your life. And look how he's using it for his glory to help all these women walk in freedom and joy. You know, it's it's an ugly path. It's an ugly story that God took and turned it for his glory for you and for many who have made that choice. And of course, now I'm curious because of the way your ministry is with the coronavirus. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about the virtual since 
you know, now we can segue into um, just, you know, talking about, you know, the resources and, you know, your advice and for women that are out there that are listening to your story and, you know, you're, you're not able to bring them into, you know, your facilities. So what are you all doing to serve those women out there? And even couples who probably are going through our men, you've mentioned men, you know, the restoration and reconciliation process, because it affects men, it affects the family. I mean, there's a lot as you've seen, and I know I've seen in terms of how that the 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 abortion itself uh, and the impact does affect the family and others. Um, so just curious, what are you all doing in helping uh, women and serving women and those that your constituents at this time based on this coronavirus setup and not being able to be gathered together? Yes, it is. So God is is so generous and he's so creative. He has given us this technology where you can be in 15 different states and have 15 different people and they share the common bond and they can talk it over on um, the computer on video chat. And so that's what we've moved into with this group session that's starting in April is we are going to move on to the video platform. We're still going to use the same book that we've used, the same curriculum. The only difference is that we are not together in the room. And so I think because it's not the book that heals us, because it's not our time commitments that heals us, because it's the Holy Spirit He is not limited at all because of the coronavirus. And he will reach the women that need to be reached, and he will guide them through this healing, and he will minister to their hearts, and he will encourage them. And uh, this next, this group that we have going on in April, um, I'm actually going to be one of the facilitators. And so, you know, I'm. I'm still doing the same job. I'm still encouraging the ladies. The only difference is this time I get to actually watch the Holy Spirit work in these ladies over those 11 weeks. And um, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it because it's such a different atmosphere. And I, I am afraid that we may put God in a box by saying, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that because of Corona. Well, God is much bigger than Corona, and His Holy Spirit is going to minister to who He wants it to minister to. And I've just got to be that willing vessel to walk alongside and help. I have an amazing co-facilitator who is going to work with me on this next group, and we have three ladies signed up, and I would love to see this class filled up. We go no more than six ladies um, as participants. And so I would love to see three more women get in on this um, group dynamic and heal from it because I know what I was like before I did my class. I was angry. I was guilty. I was full of shame. I was a terrible mom. I was an angry wife. I was bitter. I was resentful. But I went through that class 
And I went through Reconciliation Weekend, which is uh, another part that we do where the men are able to come and, and work through their feelings of the abortion with their wives. And that was a game changer for my husband and I. Um, it was like our marriage started completely over from the beginning and we healed together as a couple. Whereas with the book, I started my healing and he is not my baby's father. I remarried later. And so he didn't quite understand um, some of the things that I was going through. Why, why was I angry? Why, why did I do some of the things that I did? And so him being able to go to reconciliation with me, reconciliation weekend with me was a game changer. And my kids will tell you that I'm a better woman having gone through the class and reconciliation weekend. Um, I'm a better mom. I have joy. We have recognized our son and named him. We talk about him. He's not that shameful secret that I'm afraid people are going to find out about. Um, St. Patrick's Day, we actually celebrated his birthday, which is the first time in 27 years that um, <laughs> that we'd been able to do that because I always saw that day as the date of his death. And a friend of mine reminded me, she said, well, no matter what the baby's circumstance, that baby is born on a day. And I thought, you know what? She's right. And I need to stop looking at that negative and I need to start celebrating him. And so this year we did. Um, we bought cupcakes. We sang happy birthday. We, um, we just celebrated him. My favorite Bible verse, because it speaks to me of so much hope, is it's 2 Samuel 12, 23 and 24. And the, the situation surrounding it is when David and Bathsheba have conceived the baby out of their infidelity that they had from their affair. And Nathan, the prophet, which is so coincidental because that is my son's name. And I didn't know that when we named him. Nathan comes in and, and talks to David and tells David that his baby is going to die. And David weeps and he mourns and he tears his clothes and, and he fasts and, and he's just broken up. And the baby dies and he cleans himself up and he goes in to eat and his servants are shocked. They're like, why are you, why are you eating? Why aren't you crying out for your child? And so this is what he says and starts in verse 22. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that my child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And that just brings me so much hope that I know that my short time here on earth is painful and I miss my son incredibly, but I have eternity that I get to spend with him. And I just look forward to that. And I, that is my favorite Bible verse because it gives me hope. It reminds me, even on those bad days when I'm missing him, that I will see him again. Well, that is precious. And your story is precious. And, you know, I'm just so grateful um, for your ministry and what you all are doing in terms of healing and reconciliation and helping women walk through the journey. 
And as you shared, our world and our purpose here is for God's glory, and we're transitioning into our forever world. And because of the fall, and because of sin, there's hard things that we go through based on choices. And one thing I will say that I admire is that you took responsibility for your decision. And even though you were not in, you know, a place of thinking about the seed or the egg as, you know, being wonderfully made and that God had a plan. I mean, you weren't in that mindset. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying that when you came to the realization and you knew that you needed to go through a a healing because you needed to be able to be prepared to meet your future son down the road. And um, you also wanted your husband and the brother and sister to be able to be prepared for that. And how you celebrate and how God's taken you is just amazing. So the ministry has helped you incredibly in your recovery. And I would love to hear from you, um, Heather. This ministry, if not for grace, can women all over somehow get connected to your ministry? Um, Since you're kind of moving out virtually, you know, right now, that's really a blessing, in my opinion, for a lot of ministries, because there's a need, you know, for what you're doing all across the world. And so the question is, you know, if there's a woman or two or three, sadly, or many who need to go through this process of healing and need a great and safe place to do that and someone like yourself who can guide them through and, you know, will love them through the process. How do they get in touch with you or the ministry? You know, that is such a great question. And for the longest time, we have been wanting to take it online so that we can heal or not heal, but bring restoration and healing to those who are not Kansas City bound or located. And so you can get in touch with us by going to www.infg.org. And there will be um, a little couple of lines up at the top right hand corner and you can click on that. And it talks about services and you can um, reach out to us. It's called the Her Choice to Heal program. And that's the book that we use to do our facilitating. Kind of exciting that, you know, we've been praying to God, help us get an online ministry going. Show us how to start this. I don't think that any of us thought that he might use Corona as a possibility. (laughs) But, you know, God's ways are not our ways. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) And, you know, if he's going to take a global pandemic and make it possible for our little ministry to go online, then we're going to go with it. (laughs) And we're not going to tell him no. (laughs) No. And we serve an awesome God and a big God. And I thank you, Heather, for sharing 
so personally, you're God's story gift, and it truly is a gift. You're giving a gift to another woman. And I know that your story is going to encourage many. And I wanted to share, friends, that we will have an episode page set up on our website. It'll be episode 30 to share this podcast along with other information about Heather and If Not for Grace. So uh, there's so many questions. I would love to talk with you, Heather, but we are running out of time. And so I think we'll go ahead and and wrap up. Um, Is there anything else before I close, Heather, that you want to share? The only thing that I can say is that there will be men and women who listen to this and get that nudging that God wants them to get into contact with us. We don't do what we do because we want to make a profit. We do it because we've seen what God does and he wants to heal people. He wants to heal his people. And if God is nudging you, don't fall victim to Satan and his fear, but reach out to God and follow through with what he is asking you to do because he will greatly reward you in the end. So friends, there it is. Until the next show, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org.